Welcome to the Air Force. If you are not religious, go to the back of the room, sit down and shut up. This whole like, well, I'm just following orders, you know, at, at some point, you know, we all have to ask ourselves, like, what is it that I am doing? And this guy said, I want humanist service. That was pretty brave. And someone said, you know, you're changing the Air Force. Sarah Blaine. And I'm Evan Clark. Welcome to The Humanist Experience, a podcast series where we seek out transformative encounters that educate our emotions and expand our world. On this episode, we'll be exploring humanist thought and how it can endure even in environments characterized by strict conformity and potential mortal jeopardy. Most of us have heard that notorious expression, there are no atheists in foxholes implying that when confronted with the prospect of death, even the staunchest atheist will drop to their knees in prayer. Well, we set out to find out whether or not this is quite literally true. In our journey for an answer, we ended up with a story of how religious culture inside the armed forces marginalizes non-theistic enlistees, and how an enterprising group of humanists is working to change that slowly bringing non-religious service people out of the shadows. It's the story of a profound humanist experience that's having a ripple effect on the culture of the entire United States military. It's almost like a religious experience. Well, that's a bad example. Sarah nor I have much interaction with the military. I'm not from a military family. My dad wasn't drafted and neither were any of his brothers during the Vietnam War. I didn't even grow up in a town with much of a military culture. The kids in my town, we went to four-year universities rather than serving. I have a couple of uncles who were in the military, but it felt very far removed from my own experience. I grew up going to anti-war protests with my mom, and my parents often talked about the merits of nonviolence and about defunding the military-industrial complex. My younger brother, Josiah, spent six years in the Navy as a way to pay for college but our letters back and forth didn't really cover much about military life, other than that it was an epic challenge for him to eat vegan on an aircraft carrier. I believe ketchup packets and rice were the majority of his diet. Oh, delicious. Yum. So to prepare for this episode, Sirak called up Josiah and asked him about his experience in uniform. When Josiah joined the Navy, boot camp was the opposite of our life. It must have been really hard for him. He'd lived with me for a while when he was a teenager and then lived on his own through his last year of high school. Supporting himself through high school required a lot of hard work and self-reliance, but it totally lacked authority and routine. Then he graduated and went straight into the intensely authoritarian environment of basic training. I was really curious about how he navigated that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really difficult. I mean, I had a very short temper. Um, probably still do control a little better now. I actually had to go through anger management well in the military. I got what they call if you get set back, they call they call it an asthma. So I had to go to like anger management for like, like a week and a half, where we sat down as a group and talked about our feelings and made collages and everything else as part of my rehabilitation. I guess. 
Josiah told me he was also sent to the chaplain after his asthma, and he told me that all the chaplains at all his commands throughout his entire six years in the Navy were evangelical Christians. Now, Josiah and Sarah both started openly identifying as non-theistic around the same time, near the end of his time in the Navy. But Sarah realized she didn't actually know if he was an atheist when he enlisted. So I asked. I chose to get, you know, no religious preference stamped on my dog tags at boot camp. So I think at that point I was at least agnostic, if not some form of atheistic, somewhere in the spectrum. So yeah, I wasn't wasn't very religious at all. or You know, I believed that there was a possibility in God, but that praying was an extreme waste of time. We learned service members are often sent to chaplains for support when they're struggling. But religious chaplains aren't always equipped to support service members who don't hold any religious beliefs. And there isn't a secular alternative to visiting a chaplain. There's a vacuum of support for non-theists. The problem is not you know, what most people think this, this over evangelism, you know, which exists, but, but the real problem is, is this, all this upside. Everybody's got the red carpet rolled out if they have the right kind of beliefs. That's Jason Torpy. He's an army veteran and the president of the Military Association of Atheists and Freethinkers, MAF for short. MAF builds community for atheists and humanists in the military, educating and training both the military and civilian communities about foxhole atheists. If they come in and say the right things, oh, I believe in God. Okay, well, we'll roll the red carpet out for you. Well, you know, maybe maybe you're wicked. Okay, well, we don't like that. You know, we chaplains don't like that that much, but we'll, you know, we'll still provide you all the space and all the support, everything for free, all ready to go. No questions asked. We're trained and ready to do that. If you're humanist, eh, you know, I, I'm not sure. I don't really believe in God. Okay, well, you know, I might smile at you and send you on your way, but nothing. That's exactly what Josiah said his experience was like. He didn't find his talks with the chaplains damaging, but he said they weren't particularly helpful either. Oh, things will get better. Like, you're not going to kill yourself, are you? Okay, well, then that's good. You know, have you, have you, you know, have you found, you know, have you explored any religious avenues? And, and they didn't push it, you know, particularly hard, but they, they did, you know, bring it up in conversation that, you know, it's easier, it's easier, you know, with, with the support of God and, and so on and so forth. This was a problem, not because it was exposing Josiah to a religion he didn't believe in, but because it was a failure to offer any valuable tools for someone who wasn't religious. Right now, if they don't turn them away outright or evangelize them, the best we can, we, we've been able to expect is for them to just sit down and wing it. You know, just say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I never had any training. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm just going to kind of wing it. You know, and smile and be nice, but give you nothing. No space, no support, no community, no materials, no referrals. Um, you know, that's what we kind of suffer through now. Now, let's be clear about the prevalence of non-religious views in America. The religiously unaffiliated are growing significantly. In fact, they're the second largest religious group in America today and make up more than a quarter of all new military recruits. In the past decade, they've surpassed Catholics, mainline Protestants, and practitioners of all non-Christian faiths. And contrary to what some believe, there are non-theistic worldviews that do provide strength during times of fear and stress. But unlike their religious counterparts, humanists and other atheists, they just don't have ready access to resources for coping that align with their life stance, especially in the armed forces. 
Those resources are needed because military life, especially when it involves combat, does introduce a lot of ethical and existential questions to any service member who's reflective and conscientious. Josiah is a combat veteran, but that's not a term that resonates with him because most of the time, he didn't know whether he was in combat. He was deployed on an aircraft carrier that was over a thousand feet long and 244 feet tall. We supported several um, bombing operations during my, I had an eight and a half month deployment. We dropped more ordnance than the previous 27 years of the ship's service. He essentially worked in the basement of a ship the size of a 24 story building. He described it like a floating city or war factory, where you're making war happen, but are removed from the actual war. You know, there were periods of times where we'd go in, into radio silence and you'd, and you'd know that we were up to something and, you know, and then you hear the planes launching and you see the munitions going and you're not really sure, you know, who they're meant for. Josiah experienced a lot of turmoil about participating in a war where he wasn't actually sure what his role was who he was helping to kill, what cities or towns he might be helping destroy. But certainly, you know, at the, you know, at the, at the level I was at where I'm down on standing watch, you know, I, d I didn't feel like I had the responsibility or the authority to make that, that decision, but it definitely, like, was something I thought about frequently. Chaplains are trained to address these kinds of moral and psychological questions, but they're trained to do it from a religious perspective. This whole, like, well, I'm just following orders, you know, and, the, you know, the classic examples of, well, the Nazis were just following orders, you know, it's like, it's, at some point, you know, we all have to ask ourselves, like, what, what is it that I am doing? Josiah told me that it was really difficult to be in that situation with no one to talk to about it. Military culture sometimes seemed pretty out of sync with his own values, and he had no outlet for his troubled conscience. It's like this, this incentive that like we're spreading freedom and democracy one bomb at a time, and that, it's, and even I mean, you know, you, you hear a lot of you know racial slurs too, as you know, as we're loading munitions and everything else, and it, it, just a huge othering of the people that we're potentially harming. We set out to explore this more. Was Josiah's experience unique, or were other humanists in the military experiencing the same challenges? what it's like to be a religious minority in an institution as large and as old as the United States military, and what services and discrimination do foxhole atheists receive? Jason Torpy from MAF suggested we visit Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas, which has a unique community of support for military humanists. My name is Scott Smith. I retired from the Army after 20 years of service. I was an intelligence analyst, and I retired as a first sergeant. My name is Rebecca McGraw. I'm active duty Air Force, but I am not representing the Air Force or its position on anything. Texas, Scott and Rebecca both volunteer to help run a service for non-theists on the base. Rebecca told us she found out about math through her brother, who we'll call Carl for the sake of anonymity. Carl, like Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan. Yeah, it's cool. Carl was also in the military and was also an atheist. 
a proven, tried-and-true foxhole atheist. So my brother was an aerial gunner, and he deployed a few times. He saw some of the worst parts of war um, because he was assigned to the pararescue. So that means his job was to provide armed support. He was the door gunner, basically, for the helicopters. So uh, when these people land to recover service members and other casualties of war, you know, he saw that firsthand. Rebecca told us that after a difficult deployment in Afghanistan, her brother saw a news clip that really upset him. I believe it was a Marine Corps chaplain who did an interview with Geraldo Rivera and repeated the falsehood that there are no atheists in foxholes. My brother was there in that same region, uh, and he saw that interview, and it just, it, it really upset him that someone would say that. Rebecca's brother had been in the same region in which Geraldo stood with the Christian chaplain declaring that there were no atheists in this war. Carl had put his life on the line to rescue injured service members in active battle zones. He did this as an atheist, knowing this one life is his only life. And this Marine Corps chaplain was telling the world that Carl didn't exist. That his worldview was too weak to stand up to fear and stress. Carl immediately went to the computer and Googled atheists in the military. And he found militaryatheists.org, the website for math. Finding math meant that Carl was part of a community of foxhole atheists. He wasn't alone. Both Carl and Rebecca have been involved ever since. And speaking of math... My name is Victoria Getman. I'm a humanist chaplain. Jason Torpy suggested we meet with Vicky during our trip through Texas and hear her story. I did 20 years in the Army. I was a lab tech. And then I was here as an instructor for three years. Vicky co-founded and runs a unique Sunday humanist service for trainees in basic training at Lackland. We found out it's the only humanist service at a basic training base anywhere in the country. Now, we'd heard about Vicky a few years earlier when she made national news over a formal grievance she filed with the army. Her complaint? Rookie soldiers were forced into a Christian service during a mandatory suicide prevention training. Um, suicide's rampant in the military and in the veterans, and so it's always important to do suicide training, prevention training. And it was mandatory. Everybody, it was a, a command that came down, you have to do this immediately. Vicki was an Army Staff Sergeant back in 2012 at Fort Sam Houston, part of the Joint Base San Antonio, which includes Lackland Air Force Base. After passing around plastic electric candles, a Christian chaplain took to a stage and told a gathering of 800-plus troops that they needed something divine in their lives. To Vicki, this was tantamount to saying non-theistic soldiers can't cope with the stress of military life. It was going to happen on Yom Kippur. Um, even Jewish students were denied leave for their holiest holiday because it was that critically important that we attend the suicide prevention training. In any other government agency, an issue like this might quickly be identified as a violation of the First Amendment's Establishment Clause, the constitutional separation of church and state. 
I felt that was highly inappropriate to force two Jewish students on their on their holiest day to listen to a Christian prayer. I also had a Buddhist student that I also knew was sitting in there, and I didn't feel that was appropriate either. Someone should have told at least those three students that I knew of that they could leave, but they did not. Vicky's complaint was ultimately deemed unfounded by the U.S. Army. But as we would discover, tacit preference for religious viewpoints is deeply ingrained in the military. In basic training, you have two options. You can either go to church or you can stay home and clean the dorms on Sundays. Most people choose to go to church because you get a break from the drill sergeants or MTIs. We also discovered that many service members with secular identities are still very much in the closet. There's a lot of commanders that are religious, and when they do a change of command ceremony, they'll have a chaplain do a prayer. When there's a graduation ceremony, chaplains do prayers. And so there is a sense of not fitting in in those aspects. So you want to bow your head so you can fit in with everyone else. You want to uh, pray along with the chaplain during the change of command ceremony so you can show that you support your commander or your new commander. And you want to do all these things for conformity. Vicky told us about the process of filling out the paperwork for her retirement ceremony. There's the space for the chaplain and what chaplain do you want and what prayer do you want? Religion is so ingrained in military culture that it's kind of a big deal when you push for your actual preferences. It's, it's kind of a, a big deal when you push against that and say, I don't want that. People have to stop for a second. You don't want a chaplain there? No, I don't need a chaplain there. And so... Th- and so people start to feel like their promotions are on the line if you are outside of that norm. And that's a big deal when you have, when you live and work with these people all the time that you want to make sure you fit in. So that way, when it's time to compare you to your peers, you can not be excluded just because of that. However, Vicky discovered that while not always obvious, she was not alone. But at the same time, I learned that during the prayer, if you don't bow your head and you stand at the position of attention like you're supposed to, and you are not disrespectful in any way, but you happen to kind of notice around you that you're not the only one with your head not bowed anymore. Communicating silently through eye contact with these people helped inspire Vicky to strive toward more explicit and open contact. She would go on to become a leader of atheist and humanist groups in the local civilian world and eventually began such a community inside the walls of Lackland Air Force Base. Since neither of us had ever been on an active base before, let alone a Sunday service for basic training, we didn't know what to expect. We were pretty excited to see what Vicky's on-base meetings were like and how the military group might be different from other humanist communities. All right, so the idea of basic training is to indoctrinate you into the new life. Uh, so there are things that you have to learn. You have to learn how to walk again. It's like being a child. Um, you know, you thought you knew how to walk. Well, you're walking wrong. You need to walk like this. You need to have a forward and rear arm swing that looks just like this. Oh, you think you know how to stand? Wrong. You need to stand like this. You need to look like this. So it's it's that uh, introduction to discipline. Uh, every aspect of your life is controlled, and every aspect of your life is 
there's a standard associated with it. And for some people, this is not new. You know, they had strict upbringing or, or what have you. But for others, it's it's very new. It's very, it's terrifying. It's the scariest, hardest thing that they've ever done. We learned how military culture is also geared toward highly suggesting religion as a support mechanism for this difficult process. And when they first get to basic training, they're taken into this reception center and all of the different services are there to present, okay, I'm the priest that runs the Catholic masses and stuff. If this is, this is what we do, this is where we are, come visit us. All the Catholics, please come with me. And all of them do that. And then at the end of that, there's at least 30 people that are told, if you didn't fit into any of these, go out in the hallway or stay back there and be quiet. And so my interpretation is that is welcome to the Air Force. If you are not religious, go to the back of the room, sit down and shut up. The media Vicky received for the suicide prevention training controversy had garnered the attention of several national atheist and humanist organizations, including the Military Association of Atheists and Freethinkers. So in 2013, when a young atheist named Taylor Grin enlisted in the Air Force and joined MAF, MAF reached out to Vicky. Taylor was faced with the choice between cleaning and going to church on Sunday. As an atheist, he wasn't interested in a religious service, and he thought it was wrong for atheists to have to choose between a religion they don't believe in or doing menial labor. He wanted a Sunday humanist service, and he emailed MAF for help. One of the trainees coming here knew... Um that there was no humanist service at Lackland. And he contacted Jason and said, is there anything that we can do to get a humanist service on Lackland? And he contacted me and said, would you be willing to go meet with this trainee for his eight weeks of basic training and do a humanist meeting with him? I said, absolutely. The first weekend of basic that actual training was happening, Taylor was denied. He said the command told him something to the effect of, we just can't support that right now. Well, he didn't accept that answer, so he bothered them throughout the week, of course, respectfully. And the next weekend, he still demanded his right to a religious service, and they told him they couldn't find the space. And so the next week, he still did his, you know, verbal badgering about that he wanted the training. And so it was the third weekend that they found a little lobby in where all the other trainees went to their services. It's the reception center where everybody just kind of goes and they had different services throughout the day. And there was a lobby on the second floor that had an L, pretty much an L-shaped couch. There were two couches, but in an L-shape. And they said, well, you can just meet that trainee there. So our first meeting, we sat down with Taylor and his friends and um, we said, okay, so we're here. What can we do to help you? And what would you guys like from us to be here? Um, and so that we kind of sat down and hammered out some ideas of topics to discuss. And then it kind of just took off from there. Vicki was surprised to see some instant interest from others in Taylor's situation. And we were right by the bathroom. And so as the Buddhists were coming out to go to the bathroom, they would see the Military Association of Atheists and Freethinkers sign. And they'd say, oh, what are you guys talking about? And we would tell them, and then they would stay with us. So we were kind of stealing Buddhists on the way to the bathroom. It turned out many of the trainees attending the Buddhist service were not actually Buddhist, but it had been the only non-theistic Sunday service option. Now, secular trainees had another service that fit their non-religious identities. Between Taylor and his friends spreading the word and inadvertently poaching Buddhists with full bladders, the humanist service quickly outgrew the lobby. 
and uh, our numbers grew uh, to about 30. And then there was no place for them to sit in this lobby any longer. It was a fire hazard. So we asked to be moved. They moved us um, downstairs. There was an auditorium with a stage. They put us behind the stage, whereas if you were putting on a play, you'd get everything ready. And the Catholics had their service in front of the stage. The backstage meeting had to pause every time the Catholics started singing because they couldn't hear each other talking. Fortunately, they outgrew that less-than-ideal space pretty quickly as well. And then at 100 people, we were packed to capacity back there. It was a fire hazard again. And then we went to the chain of command and said we need another place. And that's where they found the current location for us to, to attend, which we're now reaching capacity at. And that meeting, the one we were invited to speak for, was averaging over 200 trainees each week. Now, we've traveled all over the country speaking to humanist groups from all shapes and sizes. But with the exception of national conferences, None of these meetings regularly get that big. This was an impressive group in general, not even considering the unique challenges of starting and growing a secular humanist community within a military where religion and nationalism seem deeply entwined in the culture. And my favorite story to tell is there was this little blonde girl, and I don't, it sounds bad to call her a little blonde girl. She's a trainee, just like everyone else. Um, but she was very clear that she was Christian and she was from a very small town in Texas, had a very thick Southern accent. And she did this, this, um, mo- motion all the time, which I've since learned is called clutch the pearls where she would like clutch her chest. And so she'd say, excuse me, I'm a Christian. And then she would introduce herself and then she would go on and, Different people came in. We had a few Satanists and one of one of the trainees stood up and said, I'm a Satanist. She stood up right away after that. And she had already introduced herself. This was like 20 people later and she shot up and she clutched the pearls and she said, did you say you're a Satanist? I'm in a room with a Satanist. And she couldn't, like, I thought she was going to pass out. And ultimately I, I was like, okay, okay, he's a Satanist and you've never been in the room with the Satanist. Um, can you please tell me what animals you sacrifice? And he's like, we don't sacrifice any animals. I'm like, okay, well, how much blood do you use in your rituals? And he's like, we don't have blood rituals. In fact, Satanists don't actually worship Satan or even believe in anything supernatural. It's an activist life stance that encourages benevolence and empathy among all people. The Satanic Temple works on protecting the separation of religion and government and isn't at all sinister in the way people often assume. And so she started to calm down. She was like, you don't sacrifice anything. You don't have blood rituals. Like, what kind of Satanist are you? Is kind of how I felt she was looking at him. And so those moments are so precious to me. But ultimately, she shared at the end that she came to these meetings all eight weeks. She did not go to a Christian service one time because her brother's an atheist and her parents told her she had to shun him and she was no longer allowed to deal with him because and she she had all these things that he was like a Satanist and he was sacrificing things and he was this and he's evil. And she found out there was an atheist meeting and she wanted to come and learn about her brother. And she wanted to see what her parents were telling her to stay away from. And so at the end of that, she came up to me and said, I thank you so much for giving me this perspective on what an atheist is. I know that I can love my brother and I know I can be there for him. And hopefully I can take this information and educate my parents. And she said, I know it's going to be really hard. They're really, really, I don't remember the religion, but really evangelical in it. And so 
but it helped her understand her brother and feel like she could have that bond. And so that's the addictive part is seeing how it actually touches people's lives. The story of the pearl clutcher leads us to some important detail about the realities of the atheist lives who attend Vicky's service. When you travel in as many humanist and atheist circles as we do, sometimes it's easy to take for granted the ease with which we can be open about our non-religious identities. But for many Americans, including those from rural conservative backgrounds, often found in the military, being out isn't easy. Okay, the coming out stories are probably the best. They range from very sad and emotional to, to very funny. There's bad timing uh, coming out stories. And um, this one woman, um, she told her mom that she was a lesbian. And her mom said, well, you're going to hell. You know that, right? She said, well, mom, I got something else to tell you, too. I'm also an atheist. So that comes under the funny category. Bad timing category is when a, a teenage girl told her mom that she was an atheist while her mom was driving. Don't recommend doing that. Scott told us he's heard stories from several trainees who've been disowned by their parents. Uh, some of them, they're quite businesslike and other times are very emotional. They'll get emotional. The people in the room will get emotional. Um, it, it's not easy. Um, there, there's one story I'll, I'll share with you that is just wild. Uh, this trainee, when he was a teenager, said he wanted to come out to his parents as an atheist and just get it over with. So they were very religious. So he, he told him he's an atheist and it just hit the ceiling. You know, they didn't like that at all. And all of a sudden his father said, son, I got something I want to tell you. I never wanted you. In fact, I had a vasectomy and they botched it. Now, in actuality, he probably had intercourse too soon after the procedure. That happens sometimes. Okay. Gets better. His mom said, I got something I want to tell you. I didn't want you either. In fact, I went down and had an abortion, and they botched that. And with that trainee, the rest of the trainees started responding, we're glad you're here, we want you to be here, we're glad you're our wingman, and things like that. They really stepped up and was supporting that trainee. So that was really emotional, and that trainee was crying, and um, they're not allowed to hug each other or anything, but you could see that in the room, that there was um, that closeness that was trying to be built, even though they're not allowed to have any physical contact like that. One big thing we noticed was that the humanist service at Lackland served a validating role for trainees. And then we go through and we let every trainee, even 308, stand up, say their name and say how they identify. And that's important because a lot of people have never said, I'm an atheist or I don't know or I am an ex-Muslim, or, I mean, they share anything. Um, we also get some Sith Lords and Pokemon Masters and things like that. And we allow that. It's it's a great icebreaker. People have fun. Um, they share different stories. They actually, I guess you could say, kind of created their own religions. Um, they really enjoy the cereal crave. Once again, everything is taken from them. They don't have snacks or sodas or sugar of any kind. And so when they can get it, they enjoy that. And so the cereal crave has chocolate in it. And so... What do they say, Rebecca? Praise the crave. And then everyone responds, praise the crave. There's, they even make a, their fingers in the shape of a triangle, or excuse me, a rectangle. And uh, one of our trainees actually made a prayer for it. 
This meeting provides a safe space for trainees to express and explore their identities, as well as build relationships with others, wrestling their way through the rigorous basic training process. There are ground rules. We clarify at the beginning that our purpose is to explore the positive place for secular humanism in our everyday personal and professional lives. And with that as our purpose of being there, it sets the tone of what our mission is actually going to be. And we don't really have those debate or proselytizing situations arise because that's not our purpose and they understand that. We also let them know that we are there to provide a safe place to learn and grow and have conversation. And with that, we expect some confidentiality. And we kind of have set that up as fight club. So they know that they are to um, talk about that we have the meeting and that we have great conversation and that we learn and grow all the time. But they also understand that they are not to tell anybody else's story when they go back to the dorms. We learned that basic training disconnected trainees from many of their traditional systems of support. Contact with family, friends, and the outside world in general was extremely limited. Trainees had very little access to the news or media of any kind. So Vicky, Rebecca, and the other volunteers leading the humanist meeting were one of their only sources of information. When we tell them about New Horizons flying past Pluto, that's the first time they've heard of it. And SpaceX landing a rocket, things like this, it's the first time they've heard of it. And it's really cool to see the reaction. So, in addition to an opportunity to express identity, the Sunday meeting is a time to learn about relevant news stories through a humanist lens. So at the end, we started giving headlines and news that was coming up. And then a little bit later, one of the trainees came up and said, I'm really eager to hear anything about science. What's happening in the world of science? And so we were like, no problem. So we started adding this week in science. You can go and get those headlines. And then we have this week in science. We go over headlines. Recently, we've added geek news. And so they get video game updates, the movies that are coming out. We give them reviews without spoilers. The closest you're going to get to blasphemy in a room full of heathens is spoilers. So please don't do that. But the meeting wasn't all fun updates, exciting science news, and newly released video games. Some of the news was really serious, and it had implications for what their military careers could look like. Our visit to Lackland was just two days after a terrorist attack in Paris on Friday, November 13th in 2015. The trainees hadn't heard about it yet. They knew a terrorist attack happened but they had no details of the severity. Rebecca read the CNN report on the incident, explaining how three suicide bombers attacked hundreds of people at cafes, restaurants, a concert, and a soccer game. The terrorists killed 130 people and injured nearly 400 more. The trainees looked visibly shaken, and the room, with more than 300 young adults, went silent. One of them asked softly, who did it? And Rebecca replied, they aren't sure yet, but it looks like ISIS is taking credit. Another asked, what does this mean for us, meaning the United States? And none of us had good answers. It was chilling watching such young women and men grappling with how this news might impact their service, where they might have to fight, who they might have to fight. It was uneasy thinking about how every time a politician says boots on the ground, 
which is being said a lot lately in the media, as Congress was debating attacking Syria at the time, they're actually talking about 18 to 25-year-olds, like the ones in that room with us. These young women and men, and thousands and thousands more like them, live or die based on what some far-off politician decides about our country's best interests. And this meeting was clearly more than just a get-together of atheists sitting and debating philosophy. In many ways, the humanism being discussed here was immediately applied in some high-stakes situations. It's something I didn't realize but was later shown to me is I just see the meeting as a Sunday, that meeting, okay, that meeting's over. Now it's another Sunday, we do that meeting. And someone said, you know, you're changing the Air Force. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We're just doing a meeting at basic training. And then they were like, yeah, but where do you think those trainees go? And it isn't just the humanist and atheist trainees who benefit from the humanist service. Its presence on the base presents some really incredible opportunities for learning about diversity, understanding, identity, and tolerance. When you are in basic training, in Air Force basic training, you're not allowed to go anywhere without your wingman. If you're, if you're alone, you're wrong. Um, and as a, as a result of this, sometimes atheist trainees don't get to attend the service because they can't find a wingman. But sometimes they get a wingman who's Mormon or a Catholic, or a Protestant. And that is amazing, because that person who is religious and, and has probably very good reason to, to shun an atheist meeting says, no, I'm going to be there for you. Rebecca told us a few religious trainees also participate in the program, and she finds it pretty amazing that wingmen get to exchange ideas in a productive humanist environment. And for these trainees that get to attend these meetings, they're also learning diversity, which uh, Neil Carter, Godless and Dixie, um, he put it this way, you guys are learning diversity, and that is a premium skill in the United States today. And these meetings create a positive space for family members to learn more about their experience as non-theists too. The airmen, once they graduate, they can bring their families uh, to these services, and sometimes atheist trainees or airmen will bring um, their religious families and their religious parents will thank us like I'm so glad you you're here supporting my son or my daughter um, and you know we have the same with atheist families there to support their uh, atheist or agnostic airmen so that's great too but I personally think one of the biggest benefits to this is just that perspective that it opens up for people it's amazing what one Sunday service can do Going back to my little brother, Josiah, when I told him about the humanist community at Lackland, there was no question in his mind that access to a community like that would have been really helpful for him. Fortunately, for humanists who wish to join the service in the future, a big change is coming. This year, the Department of Defense took the historic step of recognizing humanism on a list of recognized faiths and belief codes. They'll now also be required to provide secular resources for humanist service members. Even our very brief visit to Lackland showed us the value of humanist support in the military. And the continued success of Lackland Sunday meetings shows the incredible demand. 
The service that broke records with 308 trainees when we visited in November of 2015 is now averaging over... Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. A thousand cadets each week. Holy cow. Praise the crave. Praise the crave. That's right. There are over 1,000 military trainees attending an atheist service each week at Lackland Air Force Base. There are most definitely atheists in foxholes and just about every other segment of American society. But many of us don't open up about it publicly because we're worried about discrimination, social stigma, and even rejection from our closest friends and families. But as Vicky's bravery shows, one person standing up and publicly claiming their marginalized identity can make big changes for others. And it took just a few courageous soldiers to begin changing something as massive, bureaucratic, and immovable as the United States Air Force. If I could get back, excuse me, to um, Taylor Grin, the um, trainee that requested this. When you're going through basic training, you're just wanting to make it through training. You're not going to rock the boat at all. You're not going to even make eye contact with anybody. And this guy said, I want a humanist service. And for him to do that was pretty brave. And if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be doing this right now. Next time on The Humanist Experience. About 11 years ago, I got the ultimate crash course in cross-disability sensitivity when my fiancé and I were both wounded in a random shooting. If you would like to support the Humanist Experience, you can find the link to donate to our work at humanistexperience.com. Once again, that's humanistexperience.com. As the official podcast of the National 501c3 Nonprofit Foundation Beyond Belief, gifts to the humanist experience are tax deductible. Another great way to support the podcast is to rate us on iTunes or Google Play or whatever fancy podcast app you use. It really does help us grow the podcast visibility. Seriously, it really helps. Seriously. Also, make sure to follow our journeys across the country on Facebook and Instagram. We post most of our behind-the-scenes photos. Most of them. Most of them. Like the one of us standing with the controversial Prescott, Arizona mural we told the story of in our last episode. If you'd like to support the work of the military atheists you heard on this episode, please visit MAF's website at militaryatheists.org. Again, that's militaryatheists.org. Special thanks for this episode go to... Our guests, Josiah Nosek. Vicki Getman, Rebecca McGraw, Scott Smith, and Jason Torpy. Our sponsors, Matthew Farron and Jackson Piper, for helping our Kickstarter earlier this year. We truly wouldn't have been able to do this without you. We want to thank our visual stimulus coach, Gustavo Youngberg, and our development associate, musical director, and editor, Eric Zaccaroni and Cheese. We can't forget our producer and master of superposition, Andre Schrodinger Soleil at Unbelievers Media. The Humanist Experience is produced in collaboration with Unbelievers Media LLC and is the official podcast of Foundation Beyond Belief. We're your hosts, Sarah Blaine and Evan Clark, and we'll see you next time.
And it's the story of a profound humanist experience that's having a rippling effect on the culture of the entire United States. <laughs> it's a ripple effect. <laughs>